This is Alfonso Davies, and you're listening to BR Football Ranks. and welcome to BR Football Ranks is your favourite football podcast back again for another week my name is Jack Collins and I will be your host today as we look at one of the most exciting weeks in the football calendar oh yes the warm up the wind up into the transfer deadline moment which is always always exciting and of course we have a man who is willing to give you the lowdown on all of the latest rumours it's Transfer Insider Mr Dean Jones how are you my friend? I'm good, mate. You say willing. I'm just paid to do it, to be honest. So I don't really have much choice in, in the issue. But of course, I love spreading the word and what I'm hearing. Uh, it's good fun. And well, D-Day, transfer deadline day is coming. So here we go. Exciting times. Exactly. So it's very exciting times. And, and of course, the man who's going to try and make sense of those transfers is the rank god, Mr. Sam Tsai. Yeah, hello, mate. Into the home stretch now. So we get to see who's really under pressure, uh, who really needs to get their arse in gear. And Dean is actually going to take the lead this week uh, after the hot take section because he is the man of the knowledge and he gets to set the scene. And I, for you know, for the first time in a while, I've just been sort of very chilled moving into this episode like, ah, I don't have to have to produce a big ranking. I'm just kind of just kind of relaxed about the whole thing. All the pressure's on Dean now, all the work for Dean. Loving it. I, uh, I love a Dean Jones ranking. But as you mentioned there, it's hot takes before we get into that. And just to put the pressure back on you a tad, you can start us off. <laughs> of course, I'd be delighted to. Um, we saw what felt like the beginning of like a new era for, for Barcelona, didn't we, this weekend? And I know that some people might be saying, don't, you know, don't get too carried away. You know, it's only one game. That seems like a pretty grandiose term for you know, literally the first game of a new season. But the thing is, on the weekend, it didn't matter about the result. Obviously, Barca beat Villarreal 4-0 in a pretty comprehensive performance. The thing is, it felt quite fresh, quite new and quite exciting. And Koeman's first official game in charge brought lots of surprises, but lots of good stuff. And this is the reason why Barca fans are actually quite excited right now, because it's been a summer of absolute turmoil. But you get to watch them play football. And what we saw, a couple of key players put into key roles, put in their best positions, playing their best football. Frankie de Jong back in his left centre midfield role, the one he played for Ajax in a 4-2-3-1. The one he looked world-class in, frankly, the best he's ever looked. You've got Ansu Fati on the left wing, cutting in, two goals, won the penalty. You know, give Messi the penalty, give him a bit of a confidence boost because Fati was playing so well. Griezmann on the right, Messi up front, Coutinho starting and playing well. Like, there, was, there was a lot going on here and almost all of it was excellent. And then later on in the game, you see Pedri step off the bench. You see Trincao come off the bench. It just felt so shiny, so fresh, so youthful, so new and kind of exciting. And that, that's really all you can ask for from Barcelona from the first game. Make it feel different. Make it feel new. Make it something that people could get on board with. We've just had a horrible summer watching like Vidal and Rakitic and Suarez and Semedo and Arthur all leaving. The key point here, make it fresh. Get the fans behind your new project. And to be fair, like we've poured doubt over this all summer. But as first auditions go, this is pretty good, wasn't it? Yeah, I really, really enjoyed myself. It was, it, it was fun. It was fresh, like you say. And Barca looked sharp. Uh, and I think that we haven't seen them look that sharp and, in, and kind of ingenuitive for, for a long time. They, they looked like it was a little bit different. And obviously you spoke there very briefly about Messi being up front and being in that central role and, and kind of dovetailing with Coutinho in, in, in the hole. And I thought that for something that's been pushed as 
this can't work, this can't work, they like each other's space too much. I thought it worked really nicely and I thought they combined quite well. And obviously, I mean, we went on, in on Ansu last week, so we're not going to go, go completely down that rabbit hole again. But I mean, my favourite moment of the, uh, the game was when he wasn't allowed to be given the Man of the Match award because he's not old enough to drink and the Man of the Match award is sponsored by Budweiser. Um, so that was my most enjoyable <laughs> moment of, of, our, of what was an enjoyable evening. Dean, were you impressed? Um, well, I wasn't impressed with Villarreal, let's put it that way. That... Oh God, yeah. I mean, yes, Barcelona were good and it was it was definitely fun, but come on. I mean, they, I tweeted, you won't get an easier first half than that the rest of the season because Villarreal were unbelievably bad. I mean, almost as bad as Fulham, I'd go as far to say. No one's um, as bad as Fulham. They they played for 10 minutes without a midfield, so that didn't help them. Um, then Pau Torres turned into a clown for a few seconds and, <laughs> and stuck one into his own net. Um, they were just so far off the pace. Um, it was unreal. Um, so I don't think we can read too much into it, but if nothing else, it's a huge confidence boost for Barcelona and it's a winning start for Ronald Koeman that, that, that they've really needed because I'm still not convinced how long that guy's going to be around. I've got to admit, but, um, Look, all he can do is win games, and he did that one comprehensively. I mean, D- Dean's right. Villarreal were, were awful, and that is a huge caveat to this. Like, they were absolutely shocking. This is a, a team that we fancy for top six minimum, maybe even top four, and they were a joke. They were played through so easily, but but they tightened up in the second half and were still second best. But the, the most the most important thing here for Kuman is that he's got the win under his belt, and, and he's managed to get certain pieces in play that basically people are just begging for, right? So Fatty and Frankie in their best roles, they are the future of Barcelona, aren't they? They are the future, and if you get them rolling, you, you show that they are important parts of your strategy. That gets the fans on side, and that's all that's all he could have done so far. So fair play. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right, DJ, let's throw it to you. What what have you got for us, and what's new? Well, over at Chelsea. Um, they were quite smart in their recruiting. Obviously, Frank Lampard played a big role in convincing players to come and join Chelsea, but so too did Antonio Rudiger. Um, they really leaned on him to help get Havertz and Werner into the club, and he was delighted to do so because why wouldn't you want two of the best attack, young attackers in European football playing for your team in the coming season? So he did it, and he helped them get through the door. Happy days. What he didn't count on was the fact that Chelsea have zero plans for Tony Rudiger to be part of their plans this season. And he's not particularly happy about it, from what I'm told. Um, so suddenly Rudiger's gone from, yep, yeah, everything's looking great. Got my mates here. Got a good season ahead of us to basically you're not playing with trying to find you a new club. Um, yeah, it's quite harsh. Let's put it that way. I'm not sure that Rudiger is that bad that he doesn't deserve to get any game time. Um, quite a big signing when they signed him two, three years ago. Um, 29 million, I think he cost at the time. Yeah, um, it hasn't, hasn't been sensational, but I'd say there have been worse performers for Chelsea in that time. Um, and now, look, he looks like he's on his way out. I don't see this situation turning around. So, really, I feel quite sorry for Rudiger. I've not included him in my transfer ranking today about deals to watch out for, but um, he probably is going to move on. and. Uh, West Ham definitely in for him. You don't be surprised if that's where he turns up. But there are a couple of other, uh, let's say, bigger clubs also sniffing around. So let's see where he ends up. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to finish hot takes with with something I loved. And and as usual, I loved loads of things this weekend because football's great, isn't it? And I wanted to talk about Serie A. I wanted to talk about Inter for Fiorentina 3 and what was just an absolutely astonishing game, frankly. Um, And one of those weird ones where you looked at the five substitutes rule 
And it was such a crucial thing because Inter, the amount that Inter brought off the bench in the last 10 minutes against a Fiorentini side that had been so, so hardworking and done so well to get themselves ahead. And then Inter were like, all right, by the way, we've got Alexis on the bench. Blazing Christian Eriksen and Hakimi came off the bench. You're like, what is going on here? Like, obviously teams can't compete with this, which is annoying. But I, I couldn't top the fact that Atletico decided to turn up and turn on the style. Now, last week, Sam, we talked about the fact that our two respective sides in the Liga, Betis and Granada, were top of the league. And then this week, they came up against Madrid, full stop. Um, <laughs> Betis lost 3-2 to Real in a game fraught with controversy. And Granada got absolutely taken to the cleaners by new look Atleti. Now, Atleti for so long have been this kind of grind-out results, work really hard, you know, win 1-0 team. Then... 6-1 in this week. It just, Suarez came off the bench, made one, scored two, João Felix scored, Diego Costa scored, Correa scored, Lorente scored. It was just like someone had taken the shackles off Atleti and they just exploded into life. And I mean, whether that's to do with, with, uh, with Suarez's arrival, and I really enjoyed Diego Costa's comments where he said, with a perfect partnership, one of us bites and the other one kicks, uh, which made me laugh. But just in general, they were so much fun. And, and suddenly you're like, ooh, might you have to watch a little bit more Atleti this year? Because, you know, up to this point, you watched Atleti when you could, but ultimately you knew exactly what you were going to get. And it, and it feels like this is kind of a, a fresh era in some ways. I'm sure there will still be much of the Simeone spine and quality that we, we know and, and have loved over these years. But it does feel like it's a bit sort of Atleti unleashed and I'm excited about it. I'm not. If, 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 if it means that we, we lose 6-1 to them all the time, I'm not particularly interested in watching any of that. I mean, that was difficult to watch. I had to dip in and out because a part of me was like, well, I should watch Granada. And then I, every time I turned it on, was considered another one. Save the penalty as well. Could have been worse. Um, João Felix destroyed Granada. Like, obviously, Suarez and Costa get the headlines. His performance was absolutely ridiculous. And this Atletico side suddenly are, win- are going to be winning over the neutrals, aren't they? I mean, they've probably even got a couple of Barca fans rooting for them, not only because they're Real Madrid rivals, but because Suarez has been treated so poorly and he's gone. Man, what a performance. What a blitz. Just incredible. Dean, I mean, Suarez and Costa is going to be giving defenders nightmares, isn't it? Yeah, literally nightmares. You're going to be actually scared of playing against them. Um, <laughs> you don't, you honestly don't know what they're going to do. But more than anything, they are actually really good footballers, which sometimes gets forgotten when you talk about their kind of uh, personalities and horrible traits that they have as men. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's good though. I like it because this is what Atletico Madrid are. They're horrible, um, but they're also really good. So I think, as we've said before, like these are the these are perfect. Um, additions to Atleti um, and we talked before about I think Lucas Torreira joining as well potentially and um, I mean again absolutely perfect for Atletico Madrid and can make him even nastier so yeah it's really good if there's a Royal Rumble at the end of the season as well we know he's winning that yeah absolutely and oh, before we move on to your main ranking feels like a nice time to stick a melon of the week in there Ding. it's time for melon of the week this week's melon of the week is Hector Bellerin. Ooh, he wrong two Hector. Foul, two foul throws in the same game. Oh, God. Yes. <laughs> it's unreal. He's playing for Arsenal at Anfield in the Premier League. He's not playing for the dog and duck down in Hackney on the, on the marshes. Um, it, it honestly was so funny. And after the second one, he kind of looks around bewildered and says, 
I've been doing it like this all my life. Well, it's wrong, mate. It's wrong. You haven't got the ball all the way behind your head and you've thrown it straight down at the ground. That's not how you take a throwing. It's a mad one, isn't it? Because they're given so, like, so rarely in professional football. At, at uni, when you play for uni, there was a thing where whoever did a foul throw had to buy shots for everyone immediately after the game, as in you'd be straight in the pub. I, I kind of hope that it's the same and Hector was there buying you know, two shots in the Arkle afterwards, <laughs> uh, just around the corner for the entire, for the entire Arsenal scene. But, but yeah, it's, my dad will love this. My dad is always at games going, that's a foul throw. And I'm like, dad, no one gives foul throws. Like, foul throws don't exist in the modern game. Apparently they do. So He's obviously just got away with it if he has been taking... If he's been taking throw-ins like this for his entire career, then he's, he has been doing foul throws for his entire career and people just haven't been picking him up on it. I'm glad he got picked up on it because he's a melon. Yeah, so it's a fair Melon of the Week. I just want to make a kind of uh, historical Melon of the Week shout for something that we didn't discuss last week. In uh-huh. the Roma... Played their first game, got a point, nil-nil draw with with Hasrona, which was later changed to a 3-0 defeat on a technicality because they failed to register Diawara in the squad because last year he was 22 and you don't have to register under 22s. And this summer he's turned 23 and no one noticed. And so they just didn't bother registering him and therefore he was illegible and they lost three and they got a 3-0 loss because of it. That is unbelievable. Like this... This kind of stuff doesn't happen enough in the modern game. Do you remember Madrid did this in a, in a cup competition once and, and were removed from the cup competition because they played an illegible player? And it's just madness. Do you know what this it. says to me? It, this says to me that no one turned up to Diawara's birthday party because no one realised that he was his birthday. It was probably lockdown, wasn't it? Yeah, probably. Lockdown. So, huge shame. Huge shame. It is a huge I shame, think they yeah. could have thought that. Yeah, it went under the radar last week. I actually only found out about that story, the full extent of it anyway, after the pod. So... It definitely is is worth sending him um, Roma admin a melon. Yeah, historical melon for the Roma admin, right? That is the entirety of our first section. And we're coming back with a Dean Jones transfer ranking after the break. Welcome back to BR Football Ranks. It is transfer season and that means it's time for a transfer ranking. I'm just going to hand you over to Mr. Dean Jones. And this is your area, your arena, shall we say, Dean. This is this is where you come to life. Thanks, mate. Um... Look, it's, it's been a great window, to be honest, considering we were told that, this, that nothing was going to happen and nobody had any money. Well, the Premier League clubs absolutely ignored that because they just continued to spend like nothing had happened, pretty much, especially over at Chelsea. Um, other leagues were a bit cautious, for sure, and they're continuing to be. So I'd say as we get towards transfer deadline day, um, we're mainly going to be looking at deals in the Premier League. Um, so this ranking will reflect that. I've basically looked at the most exciting rumours that I think will play out in the coming days, the ones that I think are going to make the biggest impact um, for the season. I've kind of ranked them in order of how big their name is, basically. So at number five, let's go straight in with Josh King to Spurs. Um, This is interesting for a variety of reasons, really. One, Spurs still absolutely crying out for a Harry Kane backup. And yes, they've got Gareth Bale through the door. That's brilliant. And that will probably prove quite helpful. But the fact is, if Harry Kane... um, goes through a spell this season when he's not fit or he's suspended, whatever it is. And it probably will happen because Harry Kane cannot play 52 games a season. Um, They're going to need someone to play there. Josh King is absolutely perfect, in my opinion. I said this a few weeks back when I I did a hot take on the fact that they were trying to sign Danny Ings and couldn't get him. Watch out for Josh King. Well, he's still there. He's still on the radar, still hasn't joined anyone. And he's available at around £15 million. 
there are a lot of clubs looking at Josh King at the moment and it wouldn't even surprise me if you see him being linked with Man United, to be honest, towards um, deadline because he's the sort of player that you can quickly strike a deal for at that price, knowing that he's going to be open, of course, to return into the Premier League. And he would do a good job as well. I don't think that this is going to be a gamble for anyone. So I am actually quite excited to see where Josh King ends up. There's a tiny chance he decides to remain with Bournemouth, but I think somebody will snap him up. It's a... I like this signing. He's just one of these kind of useful players. And this goals and assists record isn't that strong. It's not that bad, to be fair. But he has he has been in the Premier League a while. And he's always looked like a, a decent, composed player. I mean, Sam, Tottenham was or, or United obviously came from United. Is is there something that suits him more? Would you, would you rather see him at, at Spurs or, or at United? Josh King played quite a lot in a, in a, in a strike duo, didn't he, with Callum Wilson for Bournemouth. Uh, and I don't think I really saw him play up front on his own very often. If he was up front, he was in the two. And then obviously they moved and they put him on the left wing quite a lot, particularly when Ryan Fraser was refusing to play football. So in terms of playing as Mourinho's number nine, it's not an automatic on paper fit for me. But that doesn't mean it's a deal I wouldn't do because... Like he's just there. Like as Dean says, it just seems like a really easy one. Bournemouth happy to sell one year left on his deal, fifteen million pound asking price. He's desperate to return to the Premier League. I think he fulfills a homegrown quota as well. Like it does tick quite a lot of boxes here. United went in for him in January, didn't they? And uh, didn't quite get the deal over the line. Maybe that was more to do with Bournemouth than than anybody else. But yeah, I don't think I don't think this is a bad signing for anybody. Um, although those goals and assists tally that you produced, you know, they may not be that great. They're also inflated by penalties if you want to if you want to throw it that way as well. So you're not expecting major production out of him. But if Tottenham or Man United signed him, they're just they're just looking for a body, aren't they? They just want someone to fill in, and that's exactly what Josh King would be. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> I know that you said they're Spurs, DJ, and I know they're looking for a kind of nine when you spoke about Ings. Ings feels far more in, in that mould than Josh King. And in, in Josh King, it kind of feels like they're buying a player who's a bit like Bergvine, who's a little like Son, who's a little bit like Lucas Moura, who, dare I say it, in, in stylistically is a little bit like Gareth Bale, who they kind of have this player already. He's not the pure nine backup for Harry Kane that they seem to want. And, and with Gareth Bale coming in, who, who seems to, well, he's obviously taken the number nine shirt and it is something that he's kind of talked about before. And there was a really interesting thing with Jermaine Genus where he said, Bale always wanted the nine shirt. And they were a bit like, no, you can't have the nine. Like mm. he was like, I want to be the number nine, the, the kind of central figure. And I thought that was quite an interesting capacity, I guess, if we are going to see Harry Kane drop off a little bit more like he has in recent games and maybe play as more of that 10 figure, then, then Tottenham have kind of replacements and, and people who can play in these different, different places it might not necessarily be the place where Josh King gets those minutes whereas in a rotation at United you feel like he might yeah I do think it's worth considering the way that Harry Kane's been playing this season the fact that he has been dropping deeper and deeper and you know people have often talked about the fact that Harry Kane is a nine and a half and I think we're seeing that more than ever really Um, and I think that Perhaps Josh King and can float around in a similar way. So he's not the, you don't need a typical number nine if Harry Kane is playing in that way. If you look at the way that Son scored all those goals last week, um, it was from runs from deep and Harry Kane and the way that it's the timing of the runs to come from deeper to then um, get in behind the defence. And it's just about Kane playing the perfectly weighted passes. So 
perhaps that Josh King is going to fit into that mould similarly and, and Bale and Son and the rest of them will just be taking it in turns to interchange. It could be that we see something like that in a rotation system um, for Tottenham's forwards. Because I agree with you, like Danny Ings is, is obviously a very different player from Josh King and is an out-and-out centre-forward and a very good one at that. But as I also mentioned a couple of weeks ago, he doesn't want to join Tottenham because he doesn't think it's the right move for him right now. Okie dokie. Well, let's move this on to number four. Who's next on the list? Four is your one of your favourite players, I think, Jack. Um, Leon's Hussem Awar to Lovely. Arsenal. Lovely. Well, well pronounced as well. Yeah, I've been practising that all night because even though you two have been talking about him for the last year, I just can't talk about someone with that many vowels in their name. It just doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I think I've got there. Look, Arsenal... They've been trying to sign Thomas Partey for about four and a half years now. but um, So I thought that that would be their priority. But it's not. that They're trying to get Alain from Leon instead. And it's going to cost them about £45 million to do it. Um, Leon are going to sell. They're happy to sell if, if the valuation is met. Um, I think there's even been news today, hasn't there, about them trying to sign uh, Lucas Paqueta. So, well, there you go. There's the, there's the gap filled and he can now leave, I guess. So, look, 22-year-old... Discussions have taken place. Now it's a case of can Arsenal put their money where their mouth is because that's always been the problem. It's not just that initial fee. It's following it up with the right wages and that's always been a problem for them because Mesut Ozil's eating up a lot of that um, that wage bill. They're trying to shift out Torreira. They're trying to shift out Matteo Guendouzi. Um, and it is, it's seen as the priority position, obviously, midfield for Arsenal right now. And I think that if you looked at that the Liverpool defeat on Monday, then you can quite quickly identify the fact that, yes, the, the pieces are there. They're falling into place for Arsenal, but there's still something lacking in, in midfield. And is it a creator? Is it is it somebody that breaks play up and, and just sets things going again? Sam will be able to tell us more about what he thinks they're exactly missing. But it looks like Arsenal believe that um, Hussein Awar is the guy that, that they need to bring everything together. Well, it feels like a, a lovely Arteta piece, Sam. Obviously, we thought that Awa might go to City um, mm. under Guardiola. We said that they were kind of crying out for a player in this mould, especially given the fact that David Silva has, has disappeared and, and Phil Foden seems to be playing more towards the right uh, and this season and, and kind of off the wings a little bit more. But it's an interesting one because I'm just super excited. If Hosem Awa joins the Premier League, it's going to be delightful, isn't it? Sure. I mean, he's a, he's a wonderful player. I, we, we, we liked him for City because he is that kind of hybrid eight slash 10, that kind of central midfielder that, that, that pushes forward from deep, can dribble, can create, can move into the wide areas. When we talked about prospects in Liga, maybe in March or so, start of the first lockdown in England, uh, we had we said he had a bit of Iniesta about him because he plays in that left central midfield role, is right-footed, ducks and weaves, darts. He's a, he's a he's a lovely player. I have been going back and forth on what Arsenal need in midfield, like just time and time again, and I still don't really feel like I have a good handle on it because every time someone plays well, someone else plays badly. So every like Xhaka has a really good post-lockdown. And then obviously against Liverpool wasn't great. So, oh, can't trust Xhaka. You probably need a nice holding presence in there. But you've got Ceballos, who is essentially in that system. So I don't, I can't really get behind the idea that it's exactly what they need. But I can't say that Arsenal shouldn't sign him because he's such a good player. And Dean talks about having to shift players on to try and get that done. If Leon have 
have, have managed to square out a deal for Paqueta. That opens the door. They sold Emi Martinez for 20 million. That's like half the fee. So get Torreira out the door and you've got, you've got, your, you've got your hour, haven't you, for, for the price of, of, two, of two players that you didn't necessarily need. I mean, yeah, I'd do it, but I'm not 100% convinced that it fixes everything. I wonder if really it just gives you a bit more flexibility. Like, for example, in a game like the one at Anfield, would you probably want Aubameyang playing up front there uh, rather than off the left-hand side? and taking those chances that Lacazette gets and therefore bringing Alwar on the left. I think it would bring that flexibility for sure. Uh, but in the basic kind of 3-4-3 three, three system, like he's Ceballos, isn't he? Yeah, I was going to say, does it give you the capacity to play a 3-5-2 in these kind of games and spring the counter a bit more mm. and just kind of have two players off of the top if that's Aubameyang and Pepe or, or maybe you know even a 3-5-1-1 with, with Willian or someone dropping in a little bit behind him and, and just trying to play them on the counter and, and allowing kind of Awar and Ceballos, who are both creators, like you say, but both not massively afraid of sticking a challenge in either. They're, they're quite hardworking creators in, in, in quite a lot of ways. Uh, just to be able to kind of shore up that middle, play them both ahead of a, a holding presence, be that Chaka or whoever it might be in, in years, to, years to come, in, in months to come. But if you can do that and then just spring Aubameyang and just try and, and play that line with two players who can thread that pass, it mm. does give Arteta options, doesn't it? It does, yeah, it does. I mean, a change of formation is, is what Arteta loves to do. So a player like Alwa who can play like four different roles, I mean, why not have him? I mean, Arteta seems to be loading up on these kind of players, right? Because Willian can also do all sorts of different things. Whatever you want him to do, Willian can do it. So he looks like he does want that flexibility in players. Yeah, absolutely. All right, DJ, who's in at number three then? At number three, I've got lucky here. Sergino Dest to Barcelona. Unbelievable this. Now, at the time of recording, this one hasn't been confirmed. So that's good news because it means I can sneak it into this ranking. Um, I wasn't sure that was going to be the case. I thought it might be done by now, but it's not. But it does look like this is going to happen. And Sergino Dest is going to get his dream move at the age of 19. Now, this... The, the rise of this guy is absolutely insane. When you consider like a couple of years ago, barely anyone had heard of him. Um, and now he's joining Barcelona and it's going to be a starter. Um, it's incredible. It's great news for USMNT. They'll now have players at Juve, Barcelona, Dortmund, Chelsea, Man City, uh, Fulham. Fulham. <laughs> More than one um, of Fulham. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, it, it's, 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 this is great on so many fronts. Um, I know I've said that I wanted him to stay at Ajax for another year, but obviously if the opportunity comes up like this, then you jump at it. Um, he's clearly uh, prioritised it over a move to Bayern. Uh, Bayern don't seem particularly happy about the way that this deal has panned out. I think that they feel they didn't get a fair crack at getting him, actually. Um, I think that Ajax were quite keen that if Des was going to leave, that he took a path to Barcelona. That's that's what I've heard anyway. That, that seems to be um, why Bayern are a little frustrated right now. But whatever, you know, he's taken the old Cruyff path, Jack's favourite route in football. And... Um, I'm really, really pleased for him. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a lovely move with Semedo leaving to Wolves. It makes so much sense in, in kind of all aspects. And not to say that Bayern don't need a right back, but, but it does feel like Barcelona have been crying out for someone there for a while, Sam. 
Yeah, and I think with Des, like obviously another, it's almost always the case that the, the, the genuinely realistically best thing to do for a player like Des here is to spend another year at Ajax. That, that is almost always the case with these transfers. But if you're Sergio Des and you have grown up supporting Barcelona, idolizing certain players on that team, and you know that Messi is in the last year of his deal and he's not happy, you just take the shot. You, like, you might, if you, if you delay it to next year, you may never get to play with him. And it's not, it's not just getting to play with him, it's overlapping him. 40 games a year and that that opportunity might be gone next year so if Dest is prioritizing that then fair play who can blame him and yeah with Samedo gone this clears the path I mean we, we talked about it last week in the Golden Boy segment with with Musa Okwonga it's it's become the most obvious destination for him based on the fact that Samedo was gone and Barca are kind of revolutionizing themselves so yeah I think it makes a lot of sense and uh, I'm excited to see it. I'm intrigued Dean by by that Bayern kind of anger at this and and so Junior Dest has like you say come from uh, kind of nowhere and, and really kind of exploded onto the scene but the fact that Bayern are angry that a player of 19 years old is is not joining them and isn't is literally not going to be part of, of their plans is testament to just how good he is. Absolutely yeah and I think you know they were early on the scene with Dest to be fair and they were they were willing to push ahead with the deal when we talked to Christian Falk, he was talking about it very early on, right? Exactly, yeah. And I think, I think that's probably where their frustration has come from. Because at that stage, even though they, we knew that there was interest from Barcelona, it just didn't look possible. So I think that Bayern, for quite a while, did seem to be in pole position to actually get there. And I think they were pretty confident that they would. And they always look at themselves as, as the destination for players like this. They'll still be believing that Dest is making a mistake by going to Barcelona because they, they'll believe that they are the perfect place for him to take the next step in his career um but look the player loves Barcelona there's no way that if they are actually can get together the money we always said this actually if they could get the money together to get this that he would choose them and that's exactly what's happening have uh, Bayern dragged their feet a little bit then is do they have a, like a month's opportunity here with all the unknowns and they just like have taken too much time is that is that is that part of it yeah, I mean, I think that they tried to get him on loan was was a part of the reason that this dragged out a little while. Um, and Ajax kind of made it clear, like, if Dest's going, then it's going to be a permanent. Um, so that probably did waste a little time. But um, ultimately, it allowed Barcelona time to negotiate a deal to get Semedo out the door. They negotiated a pretty good deal as well, to be honest. They're making um, a profit on this entire transaction, aren't they? Exactly. Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> well, there we have it. It is destination Barcelona. And uh, <laughs> Dean, who's in at number two? <laughs> I really like that. Uh, um, number two, Declan Rice to Chelsea. Oh, watch I out. I wasn't expecting this name to come back up again. Watch out. I think they're, I, I they're going to have a go at it. I mean, this, there's a few reasons really to have this in at number two. I mean, one, I think that the rumour is going to be spoken of every day between now and deadline day or whenever it might actually happen. Um, two, uh, it's an absolute fact that Chelsea do want Declan Rice. Um, three, I think it c- can really happen. I think if the right pieces fall into place, then Declan Rice can become a Chelsea player this window. Now, there was a few story a few months ago um, when this all came about that, that Rice was a centre-back target for Chelsea. And I was quick to say, really, that, that yeah, Rice is a target uh, for Chelsea, but it, it's just a centre midfielder. It's just a defensive midfielder. And it's just helpful that he can also play at the back. Like, they weren't ever planning on Declan Rice being the absolute answer to their central defensive issues. And I still believe that that will be the case. 
Frank Lampard really likes Declan Rice. Rice is Chelsea through and through, came through the academy, best mates with Mason Mount. He wants this transfer to happen. Um, I know we talk in other deals sometimes, who did he support as a kid? And, oh, where does his loyalty really lie? And often it really doesn't matter. Um, with Declan Rice, I genuinely believe it does. I think that he really does love Chelsea and would love the opportunity to go into that team and improve them. And I think that from watching Chelsea early on in this season, you can see why they're quite keen for a player like Declan Rice to come in. Look, it's a lot of money. West Ham are looking for around £50 million for Declan Rice, and that is a lot of money. But are you convinced when you watch Chelsea that any of the players playing that defence role, defensive role in the middle of the park are filling everybody else with confidence? Are they are they fulfilling all the roles that they're supposed to in that position? And I don't think they are this season. I still think that there's a small possibility Kante might leave if Inter Milan make an offer and throw, I don't know, Skriniar into the deal, maybe Brozovic into the deal. I still think that something like that might happen. But I think that Chelsea's priority is to try and get Declan Rice. Let's see if West Ham cave in. They're adamant that they want Declan Rice to stay, but money talks and West Ham haven't got a lot of it. So I do think it's possible that Chelsea can get this done. Dean, where would that leave the likes of Jorginho and I suppose Tamori? Because these are these are players that have kind of been on the precipice and there's been rumours that the Arsenal were after Jorginho if, if, if this does come through. Would it push those closer to the exit door? Yeah, definitely. I think from what I've done here is I've really ranked the live rumours, really, the ones that are like going right now and the ones we can expect to happen. But obviously, new ones will crop up between now and deadline day. And I think Jorginho is an obvious one. I think that um, Frank Lampard likes him, but doesn't really see him fitting into the way that he's trying to grow this Chelsea team. Last season, he felt he fulfilled a good role within that setup. It's not quite the case anymore. And I think Jorginho knows that. His eyes are open to a new move. I don't know what avenues are going to open up for him at this stage because ones that he thought were there aren't right now. But I think it's definitely possible that that Jorginho moves in. Tomorrow, I'm not so sure. I think we'll we'll have to wait and see what they do there. Chelsea, um, I guess, need to wait and find out whether whether they do get a new centre-back in, whether they do get Declan Rice in before they can make decisions like that one. Sam, I mean, £50 million is a lot of money, but... You know, you're paying the homegrown, the homegrown kind of tax on what it is, premium, and yeah. you're gonna you're gonna play that you're gonna pay that premium. It's a, a lot of different things to that are going on in this one, and it does seem to fit. I think. Yeah, I don't think 50 million is that much for Declan Rice, to be honest. Given the situation, given Chelsea's need, given his nationality, and do you reckon they're gonna pay it in silver it's pieces? It's... <laughs> Shut up! Right. For those that don't know, that's a reference to Declan Rice. Um, being a bit of an Irish turncoat and Jack's still hurt by it but he does take this to heart <laughs> Grealish is the same um, I think Chelsea are I think they've had an A, uh, an a grade window um, full stop even without Declan Rice but there's there's obviously a case for bringing in someone like Rice um, that midfield I think it's going to come under a lot of strain this season because a lot of the players that Chelsea have signed the attacking players anyway with Havertz and Werner they're pretty, uh, pretty high risk high reward pretty direct and I think the midfield is going to have to counter-press and they're going to have to work pretty much overtime. And I'd be really concerned about pushing Kante into the red zone, given 
how injury prone he's been over the last 12 months and how difficult he's found it to stay fit. And they don't have another canter. They don't have a physical force in the field that can step up and, and basically just disassemble a, a counter-attack. So, yeah, like, like how Fernandinho does for Man City. I think they really need that presence. And it, it's Kante. But Kante's fitness maybe can't be trusted. So Rice, for me, makes loads of sense. And if I got offered that deal for a 50 million... I don't even think it's that much. I think too much for Rice is, is, is edging towards 70. At this point, I think 50 is fine. And if you can sell Jorginho and Emerson to make up most of that fee, then great. That's great business and they should do it. But it depends on how much money you got, right? Yeah. Or I mean, or Alonso after, after the reports uh, yeah. of the public of dressing down in the, in, in the changing rooms after, after this weekend's performance. So we'll see who's on the, uh, the exit list. But it would, it would probably spark a couple of outs at Chelsea as well, which might be exciting and it might, you know, might open the door to some other quite cool moves. But that leaves one, Dean. And uh, after what you said, Dean, last week in the roulette wheel, I'm under no illusions who I think this might be. Yeah, the number one transfer rumour... Is Jaden Sancho to Man United? No way! The old Jaden Sancho to Man United. It's not going away. It probably won't even go away if he doesn't sign. We'll just all talk about it that he's going to join in January. Um, look, I'll be completely honest. At this stage, no idea what's going to happen because nobody does. Anyone that's, that's telling you right now, oh, he'll stay. I've, I've seen a couple of TV shows that people go, so tell me now, Jaden Sancho, does he stay at Dortmund or does he leave? Nobody knows. It's pointless question like Jaden Sancho doesn't even know but all I know is that people close to Jaden Sancho are getting um getting his affairs in order in England in case this comes together they're trying to prepare for both scenarios um there is a chance that this still happens um but equally there's a chance it doesn't happen because Dortmund are stubborn and they do want 120 million euros and Jadon Sancho's agent does want his fee. Um, and Man United want this deal broken up in a certain way. Dortmund want a certain amount of money up front. And at the moment, the pieces just aren't falling into place. And it's continuing to be the case. I've said all along that I think Jadon Sancho might have to force the move. If, if he really wants to join Man United, then it might be that he needs to tell Dortmund that this is what I want to happen. I know what the figures are. Please, can you come to an agreement? Um, and try and push it from that angle because it might be the only way that Dortmund agree to cave at this stage. Um, I checked out before recording here, like what is the what is the latest? Like what can I say? And you know, the, the source that I speak to, who's been right on the ball with this throughout, just says, look, there's still no encouragement from Dortmund that this is going to happen. So from that, you can you can believe that United are having to look at fallback options. I do think United will make a signing in the forward positions before deadline. If it's not Jadon Sancho, it might be Ishmael Assar. It might be even Perisic. It probably won't be Usman Dembele, but I guess there's a small chance it could be. Um, they need somebody. They need some new life to be breathed into this team and bring something like Bruno Fernandes brought to them um, earlier on in the year. Ishmael Assar, I think, is, is, a, is a feasible one. And Watford want a permanent deal, but United are trying to convince them to let him let them take him on loan for the rest of the season and then and then pay for him at, at the end. Um, and I'm told they would even want Saar, to be honest, if Sancho came as well, just because of the strength and depth it would add. And they know that, that Saar wants to stay in the Premier League. So, look, let's see what happens, lads. I mean, finally, um, we're getting towards the actual deadline, not Dortmund's deadline. So this, we'll know by next week's pod what happened. 
Yeah, the sharp end of this one. I mean, I'm not even going to go down the whole, do you think he'd fit, Sam? Because I think <laughs> at this point, the whole question is completely moot. It doesn't really matter if Jaden Sancho would fit, even if, even if it would be quite obvious that he would. But I mean, this is, this is the deal, isn't it? This is what we've, we've come to the point of. And, and this summer will be remembered for whether this deal goes down or not, I think. And ultimately, we're, we're coming to the, the sharp end of that. And I guess it's quite exciting. This is an all-time like saga. This is like up there with Bale for to Real Madrid. This is this is this has been. I mean, it's been excruciating and agonising and terrible, but it's also been right up there with some of the best transfer sagas that you will ever read about. So fair play to Jaden and the and the guys like stringing this out over the course since March. This has been going on since lockdown happened, hasn't it? Remember, yeah. I had Rashford on Instagram Live on BR Football. And there were so many comments about Rashford getting Sancho in. And I even asked him about Sancho and it, it flew off from there. And like, this has been going on for six months. Yeah. And in the next week, we'll have our answer. We will. We will indeed. Um, and Jaden Sancho remains the talk of Manchester and, and the talk of the football world, really. Sam, Fad Five there, Josh King, Hussein Marwap, Serginio Dest, Declan Rice and Jaden Sancho. But I kind of wanted to get your view on some of the things that maybe haven't been mentioned that need to happen. You know, the, the deals that, that aren't necessarily even close, but you think have to get something in before the deadline happens. Do you mean apart from Fulham and centre-backs? We're not going to talk about Fulham. Okay, fine. Um, and? Yeah, um, I think United, obviously, with Sancho is fine. But like, and, and Ismail Assar is an interesting one. If, you, if you're getting Sar for 40 million or so, I'd say that's a pretty good deal. Sar's excellent, but... United have other problems as well. They don't need their fans probably don't need to be told this over and over again. But they, I think, they need a left back. Um, I don't think Brandon Williams is a left back, and I think Luke Shaw is is unreliable fitness wise. So I would sign one. Uh, They need a holding midfielder. I think the first couple of games here have really hammered home how much they need a a, a sort of tenacious number six to hold this together, and they need a centre back. Yeah, every Man United game I listen to, Gary Neville's on commentary, and he's bemoaning the fact that their centre backs are really slow. And ultimately, Lindelof has proved not good enough, to be completely honest. So they probably need something there. So there's three more positions for United to consider. Bayern need that right back. Obviously, they're annoyed about missing out on Dest. I've seen lots of links to Max Ahrens. They need to do something there. They need the depth in that option, in in that position, if Kimmich is going to move to central midfield. I think Spurs could use a left centre-back, specifically a left centre-back. You know, I don't. I think Alderweireld is their best, and I think he's best on the right. And his distribution suffers when he doesn't play there. So they should specifically target someone to play on the left. And if they don't, I mean, you've got your recycling like Tanganga, Dyer, who Mourinho loves. You know, Foyt. Uh, I'm missing really an obvious one. Davidson Sanchez. Like again, they're all right-sided, aren't they? So there's a real imbalance there. So there's four for you. Oh, and Milan, right back. Milan, let's, get a right, yeah. let's get a right back to Milan. They've got two right backs that I'm 100% not convinced by. Um, Conti and Calabria. And I think they should sell one of them um, and get someone else in. Okay. Well, there's, there's five other positions. I mean, something mentioned there, Dean, was United and left back. And their pursuit of Alex Tellis has been started to, to come to some sort of, uh, of point as well. Is there, is there any movement there? Or is it, is it just rumour at this extent? Yeah, I don't have a direct path in, into that transfer. I've spoken to people that have written stories about Tellers and they're absolutely adamant that United are after him and they, then they think that that could come off. So that'd be a good signing, I think. And um, yeah, definitely. The only reason I didn't really include it in this list was because I'd had Jadon Sancho and didn't want to go too overboard on United. Mm. Um, but yeah, Tellers, Tellers to United is certainly one that, that could come through. I just like the, the the amount of dead ball options that would give them in, in Tellers, Fernandez, Pogba, Rashford, 
Marshall can take a free kick. Greenwood's not bad on a dead ball. They'll, uh, you know, they'd, they'd have a couple of options, should we yeah. say. Um, and, and that's pretty much it for, for the main ranking. And thank you to, to Dean Jones for, for guiding us through some of the, the big rumours. And, and Sam is over the moon. He's just had a week off, basically. You're welcome. Yeah, no, yeah, no I loved it. Same again next week. Same again next week. I mean, we will be talking transfers next week because we'll be talking post-deadline transfers. But I think the buck will return to you in terms of how you rank them. Dean's just going to be giving us the insight on how they went down. And right after the break, it is time for nonsense and roulette. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to BR Football Ranks. It is time to get this roulette wheel spinning once again. Here we go. Okay. Thoughts on Bayern and Dortmund ahead of the German Super Cup final on Wednesday night. So both lost this weekend. Bayern losing a run that stretches back to that December of last year, uh, where they basically just were invincible. And, and Dortmund just a bit strange. Just had a better day off at the races, and, and they face each other. Well, tonight, by the time that you're listening to this, hopefully, it's uh, quite an interesting one. Bayern often for the, the sex tuple. Uh, but Dortmund won this game last year in, in a kind of moment that we were all like, oh, is the balance of power shifting in Germany? And it, it, it did for approximately two months uh, before Bayern just rested it back again. We're like, haha, we're Bayern Munich. Um, Sam, what are you looking at this and, and how do you see it playing out? Yeah, odd to see both teams lose on the same weekend. I mean, odd to see Bayern lose full stop. It just doesn't happen. Um, but ahead of this one, I guess what I'm expecting from from Dortmund is probably a return to something closer to kind of like a veteran eleven. Because you look at some of the teams that they've been they've been putting out in these first couple of Bundesliga games and in the cup, you're looking at like an attacking quartet of like Haaland, Sancho, Bellingham, and Reiner. Average age two, right? It's so it's so young. It's, yeah, well, the it's, average age is actually 18 and a half, isn't it? It's two 17-year-olds and two 20-year-olds. Yeah, exactly. And they're all born in England, by the way. All born yeah, in fantastic. England, baby. Um, but this, they've, they've kind of switched their formation up a little bit, playing with more of like a front two with Sancho off Parland. And obviously it, it worked really well against Gladbach, came up against something a bit different in, in Augsburg and it didn't really work. But what I'm thinking is that Dortmund basically just go back to what they, they kind of nailed towards the end of last season with the 3-4-3 and bringing in someone like Julian Brandt rather than playing all of the children and trying to make this a bit more of a game because I know that Bayern obviously just lost but they are the best team in Europe and I don't think you can go into the Super Cup game against the best team in the world with all just just children just kids like they're gonna have to sort of savvy up a little bit here and make this more of a game and I'm honestly not that worried about Bayern they were going to lose eventually right yeah I think they were I mean they look knackered Dean yeah I think that that's the problem when you're when you are winning everything it means you're playing more games than anybody else and you're not getting the break and you know Bayern have got a, a good squad but I'm not sure and I think even Hansi Flick hinted at this after that game that he still doesn't feel they've got the quality throughout the squad that means that their key players can get the breaks when they necessarily need them. Look, Alaba's got a problem. Alfonso Davis has had a knock. Lewandowski, Goretzka, Kingsley Coman's had to be quarantined. So they've got issues that they're dealing with. And, and I think that they probably, at some point, they're just going to give out and you, you're just going to tire. As for Dortmund, you know, they any other day, they would have won that game against Augsburg like three or four nil. They had 80% possession. They had loads of chances um, to score. You know, they had loads of openings. They just didn't make the most of their chances when they came into the last third. And it was a day, a rare day when Haaland's off form, Gio Reyna's off form, Jaden Sancho's not on form. Even Jude Bellingham, he started pretty well and then just fell apart really. Um, So look, just, 
was one of those days. And I think that if you're going to throw it forward into this game as to try and get an idea of what's going to happen and completely wasting your time because it's not going to be replicated at all. I mean, one thing I'm actually learning from this season is that I'm watching every single match in complete isolation and not worrying about any form, especially at the Premier League, um, because it just all seems complete nonsense and random madness. Um, but that's what I'm looking at the Super Cup as. It's just like a one-off cup game. And in a one-off cup game, I am going with Bayern Munich every single time. Um, you know, I don't care if Dortmund won before. Like, for me, it's Bayern. I'm always going to go Bayern because of their mentality and they've just got the edge on them for me. Sammy, I assume you're similar. Yeah, and the same. And Dean sort of touched on a point there is like when, when you've got like someone like Haaland, Sancho, and uh, Rayner and Bellingham, they're all on off days. Like they're allowed to have off days because they're all 20 years old or, or below. So that is going to happen. That That is what happens when you ride a team which is just so inexperienced. The ups and downs are are notable. Drastic, so, yeah. oh yeah, so it's nothing to really concern themselves about. But at the same time, you walk into a cup final one-off scenario, who you're backing, the, the, the four teenagers up front or the four 20-year-olds up front or Bayern Munich, you know, the actual mentality monsters, just as the, the German version of that because Liverpool are the mentality monsters. Like, you, you're going to back Bayern, aren't you? Well, I kind of fancy Dortmund here. Oh, of course, you, of course you do. You Not it's impossible to, be a, to fancy them. No, I, I mean, I think it goes back to what you just said, Dean. You know, I, I, that, that was, that result of the weekend was a weird off day. I don't think they have that again. And Bayern looked tired. And this game is three days after a game where Bayern looked tired. You mentioned the fact the squad doesn't have that much rotational depth right now because there's so many players injured or isolating or having their own issues. I just think Dortmund might win this game. I really, really do because we've got to a point here where you're kind of relying on individual moments of magic. And I think you're equally as likely to have those moments of magic from players in the Dortmund squad as you are in the, in, in the Bayern squad. I really, really think this is, this is one that is a flip of a coin. And yes, of course, there's all of the, the backstory and there's all of the element to Bayern have won everything. But if they have been drained, look, they might come out on, on, on Wednesday and they look like they're completely refreshed again. But I just can't see it. I didn't think they were brilliant against Sevilla. They were brilliant against Schalke, but Schalke might be the only side in Europe worse than Fulham right now. <laughs> um, and, and, and ultimately, you know, we're, we're looking at a team that have now had two kind of bit odd games in the trot. Sevilla had chances to win that game. And I think that Dortmund are as good a side as Sevilla. And I think that ultimately they can, they could probably win this. Yeah. I mean, as we're recording this, it's just come through that Leroy Sané is out for three or four weeks. Um, so they really are feeling it. They really are feeling the niggles right now. Um, so yeah, look, maybe then. <laughs> I want to see it. I, wa- I want to see it personally, because I just like you know, other people to be able to win trophies. Um, it's a yeah. compelling case you make, Jack, and I'll be watching with interest. Absolutely. Um, let's move on to the second question. Pep Guardiola has spent nearly £400 million on defenders at Manchester City. If you had to waste £400 million, <laughs> what would you waste it on? <laughs> Dean, I'm coming to you first. Wow. If I had to waste £400 million, it would be on my own pizza restaurant. Absolutely no doubt about it. Because there's only two passions I've got in life, football and pizza. Um, As we know, I used to be a pizza delivery boy. They were great days. But now it would be the time to step it up if someone gave me £400 million. I'd have the wood burners, you know, those, those lovely ovens. I'd have a couple of them. It would be so cool in this restaurant. The little booths, I'd have like really cool music in the background. I'd have dancers. I'd have the lot. 
400 million pounds, a lot of money to spend on a restaurant, but I reckon I could do it. Is that a waste, Dean, or is that just a really good use of money? I mean, you're not going to be getting that money back, are you? So it's wasted. There's no way you're making 500 million pound in pizza sales. Depends how long. Depends how long over the over the course of how long, mate. Yeah, maybe over the course of my life. If this if this restaurant, I don't know. I need to come up with a name with it, really. Um, Dean's Pizza. Pizzas. What about if you could merge melon and pizza? No. No, no. Melon pizza. No, no. Oh, no your no, melon no. of the week for that suggestion, right, <laughs> right. Sam? How would you? How would you spend I mean, it? Look, I mean, I actually thought we once you actually wanted to talk about Man City here. I will. Um, I will talk about Man City's defenders after we've decided what the, you're wasting your money on first. I think the easiest way to waste four hundred million pounds is to buy a football club. I think I, the any, anyone who owns a football club is insane. Like the returns on it are just they're so That'd minimal. Fun, and though, they're so, it? And they're so, yeah, but this is it. It's it's kind of like a joyful waste of it. Like if you wanted to just chuck 400 million away but like have have a pretty good time with it then just buy a football club like buy Wrexham uh if you're a if you're a Hollywood actor and just like you know do up the stadium and just like start like a football manager style Champions League charge from the bottom like that is the way to spend some money that you don't need because you ain't getting it back yeah we could buy Walton casuals Dean and and get involved I think that would be that would be a, a way we could build it up I think I'd buy a pub I'd love to own a pub I think I'd run a really good pub yeah, um, would, I'd also spend 150 million on it and buying Fulham some centre backs. Um, that would be that would be that would <laughs> that be a good be a waste, waste. Though, would it? That it, be a waste. it would be a waste because it would be it would be throwing money at the void. I think is is the issue <laughs> at this point. Um, right, let's talk about Pep's defenders and uh, Ruben Dias is on his way to to Manchester City. Sam, what are you making of this? Well, you know you know that I am not the biggest Ruben Skeptical. Dias believer. Yeah, I mean, look, I checked in him again yesterday because I didn't see as much of him over the last 12 months as I would have liked to, particularly for in a Benfica shirt rather than the Portugal shirt. So I decided to check in to see if he changed. And ultimately, I think the answer is is kind of no. Um, he's good. He's, he's a good player. He is not that great on the ball. He gives it away a lot. And that is the first marker for me, would, as, it, as in, like, would, would, would I give... I was looking for, you know, someone, Sam, go and find Pep a centre-back. Yeah, what am I thinking? I'm thinking I'm thinking cool and calm and composed on the ball, good at playing in tight spaces. I still don't believe that Ruben Dias is that player at, at all. So there's your first one. And he is still like obviously that very aggressive, brutish style, which is it which will work very well in the Premier League from a defensive standpoint. But like he sometimes goes over the line a little bit, I feel. Now he has good he has good parts of his game, but just like not the player that I would end up spending sixty-seven or so million pounds on if it were me. I actually think he's a bit like Otamendi, who they're including in the deal to go the other way. He's a better passer than Otamendi over long range, but he has similar traits and similar flaws. So I don't really get it, particularly since Koulibaly is right there. But uh, looking at City's overall like 400 million spend on defenders, like there have been some misses, like Danilo is rubbish. John Stones, I think, ultimately counts as a miss. Mendy injury has played a part in this, but he's now been given a long time to recover and he's not there. Carl Walker and Laporte have been great, but we have question marks over almost everybody else. The one I think is actually just pretty good is, is Angelino, who is not wanted. Yeah. Um, but every time he plays for a team not named Man City, he excels. And when he does play for City, do you remember he like played one game a month and those games were like Liverpool away, Arsenal away. It's like, why are you throwing him into the hardest games on the schedule? Like, what, what, what chance does he have to really build momentum? I never really understood that. I didn't find the, the treatment of Angelino particularly fair. Yeah, no, I think that's quite reasonable. I too have concerns over Ruben Diaz. Uh, I, I'm not 
convinced I would have picked him. Of the three players that City were linked with, Koulibaly, Jules Koundé, and Ruben Diash, I think he's the worst by quite a distance. Um, yeah, and the that. fact that they had a, you know, a deal lined up for Koundé and, and they couldn't get that over the line and yet seem to be paying the same kind of amount to, to bring Diash in doesn't hugely make sense to me. Look, I, I hope he proves me wrong. I hope he... I hope he succeeds. He's, he's been good for country. I think he's been very, very good for Portugal where, when he's played. And part of that, I think, is having a, a, someone alongside him who basically just tells him what to do. Uh, and I think that he is not expected to be the lead, which is quite nice, whereas I think he is expected to do that quite a lot, Benfica. Um, but there, is, there are major concerns here. I mean, if Laporte can, can drive him into being the right player by kind of just guiding him, then perhaps that City have found a combination that works. But I don't think he's the centre-back that elevates City back to you know the top level. He's not a, a Van Dyke who's going to suddenly come in and be like, I'm going to sort things out here from, from scratch. So I am slightly concerned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the fact that they've moved on from Kunde and, uh, and Kukulibali into Diash quite quickly would suggest to me, and Dean, you, you, you may be able to correct me or not, I think they've panicked a little bit. Like, I think they've got, they've become very concerned over the first couple of weeks of this season, particularly in the wake of like the 5-2, that they don't have the centre-backs they need. And obviously it's, it's hard at the top because the targets that can actually elevate City, there are so few of them in existence. But I, they moved from one to the other to the other, Koulibaly to Kunde to, to Diaz so fast, I think they feel panicked. And this is why this has ended up happening. Yeah, I thought they were actually on separate lists because when I, I first wrote about this, I don't know, months ago now, but um, when I was going through City's options that they were looking at, they were all on, they were all on that list. But um, it was like they wanted an with Ake or Ruben Diaz and then they wanted someone like Koulibaly or Skriniar to come in as well because they wanted somebody that could take their time to emerge and become part of the setup, but they wanted someone that was primed and ready to go straight in that team and improve it like Van Dyke did at Liverpool. And I feel like they haven't done that. They've taken two from the other side. Um, I don't think that Ake, we've seen he's not going to make an immediate positive impact on that defence. And Ruben Diaz, I haven't seen a lot of him, but I would imagine that he's going to need a bit of time to get his head around the Premier League and that he will make mistakes early on. Yeah, absolutely. As the nonsense siren. Over to you, Sam Tight. Yeah, it is the nonsense siren. Um, this week, you know what? Funnily enough, earlier on in the podcast, about an hour ago now, probably, because we've been droning on for a while, uh, Dean mentioned the idea of a Royal Rumble uh, with uh, Luis Suarez and Diego Costa in play. And that is actually the theme of my nonsense ranking. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> Foresight. That is mad. I saw That's your nice. face. Make, I just told you you made a funny face when I said that. And I thought... Why is that such a weird thing for me to say? But now I know. Yeah, yeah, you've uh, you've got you've got the gift. I rumbled you. I rumbled you've got, you. You've got the gift passed down through generations. Uh, I have I've ranked the top three like world football tag team duos if they were to enter the Royal Rumble wrestling ring. Oh my God. And I, I just can't get away from wrestling in my life. Yeah, I know, right? Sorry, buddy. Sorry, buddy. But one stipulation here: they must be on the same team or represent the same country. Okay, right. so there needs to be a team element of it. And I'm going to do a quick shout out to Finn Goldsmith, who was a member of the rank squad, who laid the seed for this idea when he DM'd me the other day and asked about a few things. Um, so, honourable mention to Alfredo Morelos and Jefferson Lerma, who, as a pair, the Colombian pair, there's enough aggression in there to make quite a serious 
impact and probably quite a lot of damage inflicted on quite a lot of people. But we begin at number three with Suarez and Costa. They might think it's a little bit low there. Obviously, it's a newly formed partnership in Atletico Madrid colours. They went to town on Granada. And I, there was that quote you referenced earlier, Jack, the uh, I'll do the fighting, he can do the biting. I think this is, a, this is a, an incredible tag team. Worthy of first, maybe, but I have a couple of concerns. It's brand new. Have they had time to work on their special moves? You know, what's the chemistry like? Because they know when to tag in and out because these are all important things. And would they just be disqualified from every single match? Because some of what they do is not okay. I mean, obviously it's, Royal, it's the Royal Rumble, but you can't just bite people, right? So that would be my concern with Suarez and Costa. So Having never it- watched wrestling in my entire life, I have absolutely no idea what the rules are, what, like, what the stipulations are, how you need to, like, I, I don't know anything at all. I mean, you're allowed to throw people off the top of like an 18-foot metal cage and you can throw chairs and hit people with chairs. But I think biting is just a bit far over the line. I don't know. Maybe we're being... Maybe that's not the rule, but I just think that's a different, that's a different element, isn't it? Um, into number two, and it's actually the inspiration for this list. It's not even Suarez and Costa. It's Arturo Vidal and Raja Nangalan. Yeah, to be fair. The yeah. Mohawk, the like Mohawk when brothers. When yeah, I was standing so, waiting to come on and as subs, I was like, that's, I was like, what is this double substitution? It's incredible. So that Inter Milan Fiorentina game that finished 4-3, Conte brought Vidal and Nangalan on at the same time. And there was a screen grab that I tweeted and lots of other people tweeted as well of these two ready to come on. It's... Uh, a picture that comprises about 80% of world football's entire neck tattoos and is the visual equivalent of sending the boys. And boy, did it work. I mean, they helped spark a turnaround. It wasn't all down to them. Obviously, Hakimi came on as well. But my God, what a sight. If you're on that pitch and you've played, what, 80 minutes or so, and you look over and those two are preparing to come on, I think you, 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 you start to get a little bit concerned. They've definitely got that fear factor, haven't they? Um, yeah, it's just so long. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm obviously terrified because it happened to Fiorentina this week. But yeah, the Mohawk brothers coming on is, yeah, it's absolutely terrifying. I, it I, is, can't, yeah. I can't, I can't get knock here. Who's in at one then? Well, so at number one, I mean, to beat these two pairs is something else. But I mean, they've got the longevity, but they've got the talent as well, I think. It's, uh, it's Raul Jimenez and Adama Traore. And this comes from the fact that if you cast your minds back a little bit to Wolves' FA Cup semi-final, and Raul Jimenez had scored at Wembley and he pulled out that custom black and gold wrestling mask to celebrate in. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Matt, Jack, we went to, um, we went to Wolves a couple of, well, we went to Wolves maybe the next year uh, at Molyneux and, and there were fans in the crowd with, with the mask on. Like it became yeah. a bit of a souvenir. Um, this was a gift from WWE star Sin Cara, a friend of his. So from this, I deduce that Jimenez is into wrestling, which is obviously a massive plus. He has close contact with someone at the very top level of this sport and, crucially, can call on the most muscular man at the top level of football, Adama Traore, who looks more like a wrestler than a footballer anyway. So if you combine the smarts and the inside knowledge with the passion and Adama, which is just, he just looks, he just looks like he would dominate anybody, I think this is the winning combo. I know that you know, Vidal and Raja and Angolan have, a, have an edge to them and I know that Suarez and Costa are feisty. I think these, I think these two take the crown. I don't know, man. Adama seems like a really nice guy. <laughs> he just seems like a really nice geezer. I think like, he'd see this and be like, I just don't know if I can be bothered. You can't wrestle him to the ground because he's oiled up. Yeah, no, that yeah, is exactly. true. That you is just slip off him, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I, can't, I can't tell if you're, if you're right or wrong. Um, as I say, I have no real experience in the field, but uh, I'm going to assume that, that, that you're right. And uh, a very good nonsense, Sam. Well done. I, like I've one, I have one final thought. I'd back my cats to take any of these on and win. 
And that, my friends, is the nonsense. There is the tea, right? That is very much all we've got time for on this week's episode of BR Football Ranks. And all that is left for me to do is say thank you very much to Dean Jones. Thank you, mate. Thank you very much to Sam Ty. Cheers, buddy. I've been Jack Collins. This is PR Football Ranks. Make sure you're following us on Twitter if you can. At Rank Squad, we're we're working on the age gate restrictions. Still, it's um it's proving proving tricky, but we're we're working on it. So if you are able to, then make sure you go on at Rank Squad and, and give us a follow. And we will see you next week, squad. Take it easy. Thanks for listening as ever. Peace. <laughs>